Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are recapping Survivor 42, Episode 5, I'm Survivor Rich. Evan, what did you think of the episode? I loved it. I had a great time. I feel... I, I've, I was hesitant to say this last week, but now I feel a little bit more confident to say, I feel like this is the season I am the most into since Season 37. I definitely feel like I am invested in so many of both the characters and the storylines happening. And I think we've said this a bunch of times now, but I think the lack of advantages being played and the lack of space being given in the edit to the advantages playing out. And the so because of that, we're able to spend more time with these people, getting to know them, and just have a lot more of an old school game uh, being played. And uh, I am, to quote, is it Burger King? I'm loving it. <laughs> I, no, that's McDonald's. Oh, sorry. Oops. To quote McDonald's, I'm loving it. <laughs> we're giving a feel? lot of free ad space out uh, yeah. this podcast. Mountain Dew, McDonald's, La Labo. <laughs> if anybody true. actually wants to pay us, just let us know. Okay. Yeah, I really liked it too. I thought it was a great episode. I, I was really, really happy with it. And by the end of the episode, I was like, wow, I was, I, I got lost in the episode, you know, which I typically don't because I'm thinking, okay, well, what do I have to cover in the recap? What do I have to like think about what's going on in the vote? I mean, there was stuff to think about in terms of what was going on in the vote, but uh, it was, there's just so much interpersonal drama this season, which we didn't get a lot of, you know, even last season, I felt like the interpersonal drama was, uh, I don't know, Sydney didn't like Erica, right? But it was like, there was nothing to that, really. And then uh, the fights between Shan and Ricard, which were very enjoyable to me, but they were all based around the advantages. Whereas here, you know, especially on that orange Taku tribe, it's people getting annoyed with each other, which I love. I mean, that is the bread and butter of Survivor, in my opinion. It's it's that social experiment of putting people together and watching them live together. Yeah, and there's just something about um, the, the vibe this season that just feels like, you know, I, I think there's... Sometimes it's just alchemy. Sometimes it's like you get a group of people together. Sometimes you have a really great cast, but they don't gel together. Sometimes you don't have a great cast, but they create something. And And I actually think this season has both. I think it has a really dynamic cast, and I think it has interesting dynamics amongst them. Um, and I feel like we're at that part of the game, which can kind of lull, of lull sometimes, like that, that, air, that time right before the merge, when you've had a few weeks with these people to get to know them, but you don't quite you're still trying to figure out who's who and you don't yet have the intertribal dynamics at play um, or the merge tribe really you know um, and I still feel like we were able to get a lot out of this and then when we got the scenes for next week I was like wow we've really I felt like we earned the merge but I, I'm going into this merge really feeling like I like I have a sense of who's who and and this is strictly by luck but having a 444 going into the merge is just really exciting I think it's the best case scenario mm -hmm. for the show yeah, it does feel like even though Taku has Jonathan, who's kind of dominating physically, it does feel like 
the tribes are more or less even. Everybody's a little bit messy. Everybody's like, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not on a on a level playing field physically because of Jonathan, but that's one person and that can be dealt with at merge time. Hopefully, I mean, like unless he keeps winning immunities, but I don't know that, especially if they're going to repeat the fake merge, which it seems like they are, and the hourglass will come back. I mean, I wonder if it'll have the exact same mechanics, but that would be a great time to get rid of Jonathan. And I hate to see him go, but I love to see him leave, watch him leave. (laughs) 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 However, I do think when we get into the episode, I will have more to contribute to the Jonathan conversation than in weeks past, because my thoughts are shifting. Hmm. Well, let's get into it then, because we open again. We keep getting fallout from the previous night's tribal, a a change that I absolutely adore, as I have said many, many times. And we find out that Roxroy was, in fact, blindsided by the Swathi vote. And I think we're seeing Romeo really emerge as a strong player in the game and kind of the narrator in that blue tribe. Uh, along with Drea, but but we're really getting Romeo's point of view throughout this. And he is trying to pitch uh, to this tribe of four now that, okay, like we can be four strong. Obviously, they're all anticipating a merge as after the next round, they'll be down to 12. And so he's trying to like rally the uh, tribe together. And they all seem on board, but Tori privately is telling us that she's ready to be the first one to jump ship because she absolutely can't work with Roxroy. And I think they're just trying to make the best of the situation they have. I don't think any of them really want to work with Roxroy, but at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. And if they are going in, even then, what can they do but stick together? Right. But I I think that one thing that was withheld from the edit was they sort of made it seem like we're four strong. And then Tori's off in the confessional being like, "Eh, not so much for me. Whereas to what you just alluded to, I don't actually think anyone feels like they're four strong. I feel like Roxroy is just as quickly to cut the rest of the three three of them Mm. as Tori is as Tori is Roxroy. So I think that this is just a tribe that never really found its footing as far as tribal bonding goes. Um, And when you're in a situation where you're going into emerge four, 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 you can really be uh, you have a lot more of an ability to be a swing vote than in your standard merge. So I don't necessarily think going in with the intention of sticking with your tribe is as easy as a, as a obvious move as in other seasons. Does that make sense? That was a lot of words, but like, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Well, let's talk about Romeo and Drea while we're on the blue tribe, because uh, the day after they go idol hunting together And Romeo gets sort of a spotlight flashback about how he's a pageant coach and he's used to working with strong, independent women. And, you know, he's influenced by his mother, who was a strong, independent woman. And that's why he wants to work with Drea. And it's kind of pitched as like, I want to make Drea the best she can be. I have thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, please. Okay, well, two things here. One... 
just this idea that like he loves strong women that's like a very broad category of human being there are a lot Mm -hmm. of strong women in the world so for him just to be like i like because i had a strong female mother i love strong women it's like great but like i need you to go a little deeper it's like what are the characteristics of strength that you define that are important to you as like pillars of a strong woman because survivor is rife with strong women like this is a show that literally Mm -hmm. exemplifies strong women so that was not enough for me and then to what you were just saying this is a show about survivor every human for themselves so this idea that he's like positioning himself somehow as her pageant coach within survivor again also um this was not something that she agreed to mind you so he's just sort of like mm-hmm. you know basically being like benevolent like his benevolent self is willing to you know give up his own game because of his love for a strong woman a strong woman that he sees in drea I think in the effort to uplift her, which I do think was his intention, he ended up, in a sense, undermining her by making it seem like she is sort of like this young Jedi in need of training, and he is willing to step up and be that figure. I don't know Star Wars, so I pardon me if these are the wrong terminologies <laughs> or whatever. Um, but the point being, it's like, I, I, I do think his intention is good, and I do think he's a good guy, and I did appreciate the backstory, but there's sort of something a little antiquated about both I think the pageant system but also his mindset which is that in in the effort to better this human being it ends up being like I a man am going to come in and help this woman be a better woman and I just think the optics of that especially with a 2022 lens do not quite land for me Yeah, I did feel the exact same way when he said it. I think there was a different way to put it. I think there was like, I work with strong women in my real life and I want to align myself with strong women because we can make each other better. I learn from them. They learn from me. We have different skill sets. We have different life experiences. It's a yin and yang sort of situation, but it (laughs) did come off as I'm going to take her under my wing and show her how life works. Also, Drea seems like she's got her shit together. It wasn't Uh like he helped her find the idol in some way. It's like they were both out looking for the idol together and she found the idol. So if anything, I could have used a confessional from Drea just being like, you know what? I see that I see that he's uh, Romeo's used to being, a uh, you know, this coach in life. But I think this is going to be the one time where, like, I really feel like I can help coach him. Like, I just would have loved that counterbalance yeah. <laughs> because it's like Drea seems like she's doing just fine. Like Drea works for Goop. Drea is on the payroll of Gwyneth Paltrow. Like she's she's fine. Yeah, she's doing well. Yeah, she's thriving. And I do wish that we got more point of views from Drea because she's had a complicated history on this tribe where she's had this day one alliance with Romeo and Roxroy. Now I don't know where she stands with Roxroy really. Obviously, they left him out of the vote last night. In the meantime, she had tried to pull together a women's alliance to get rid of Roxroy and Romeo. So... It's, I don't know quite where she lands, where she sees her path forward. Is Roxroy or is Romeo her number one now? Does she feel the same way about him as he feels about her? We don't know that. And I think that she is what is making, besides Tori, she is what's making the dynamic of this tribe interesting because she has 
made these moves that didn't necessarily pan out. And so I, I don't know what her motivation is, and I would love to know what her motivation is. Agreed. But she, she did find the beware advantage. This is very interesting because, Evan, I don't know if you've been looped into this. I've been alluding to this in the past few recaps. Anytime that Tori has been on the block to go, there has been a lot of discussion online about how we know that Tori was never in any real danger. And the reason for that was that in the season 42 promos, so the little preview they showed at the end of 41, and then there was like a couple of teaser trailers that they put out in the advance of 42, they showed two people find beware advantages. One of them was Marianne. That was very clear. We knew that Marianne was going to find one. The other was Tori. They edited a trailer that included a clip of what looked like Tori being shocked or confused, looked like she was reading something, and a voiceover reading out the phrase about potatoes. I'm a potato, you're a potato, whatever. We have skin, whatever the stupid phrase is. And so everybody was under the impression that Tori was going to find the beware advantage and obviously was going to be safe until the time that she found that. So Survivor pulled a real trick on us because obviously Tori does not find the beware advantage. And in fact, there is a YouTube video out there that I saw because Rob Sesternino shared it, which outlined before this episode even aired how it was a fake. It was a deep fake because they compared various trailers and you know, they pointed out, you know, you never actually see Tori say the words. And in two different trailers, it is two different voices. In one, it's Marianne's voice reading the potato line, because obviously she would have it on her clue. And in another, it's an unknown woman, like somebody from production doing a voiceover. So that was very fascinating. It's interesting. I don't know how often we see Survivor pull the wool over our eyes. It's a a lot of effort for them to go to when they can't even put effort into like showing everybody consistently in a season. So it's kind of a surprise. Yeah, like on the one (laughs) hand, I appreciate the effort put in for the fake out, like admirable golf club laps um it's like okay but can we take this energy and like reallocate it (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally so now drea has an extra vote she has an amulet from episode one and she has a beware advantage idol so that's where we get the title of this episode i'm survivor rich she is survivor rich is this going to be a problem for drea going into the merge That's a good question. I don't think so. Just because I think that with the three tribe split, there's enough conversations to be had and shuffling of the deck to happen that I don't think having, I think having uh, the advantages that she had can as easily be perceived as a reason to buddy up to her or keep her in the game as it is a potential target. I think there's a lot of, I, I guess I'm just saying from my own perspective on how I would play the game. If I met someone like Adrea at the merge, found out about everything she had in the 2020, in the 2022 version of the game, that would make me endear myself to her rather than, yeah, because it's like either you can use her advantages to help your own game or you can use her as a shield. So I see there being more pros to keeping her around than cons. 
Yeah, the only question, I totally agree. The only question in my mind is how the amulet is going to play out because, of course, we do have all three of High Lindsay, Andrea with the amulets. And obviously, the amulets are encouraging other amulet holders to take each other out because your amulet gains power as each one leaves the game. So that's going to be the big question mark, I think. Are High, Lindsay, Andrea going to be gunning for each other at the merge? Right. And one advantage that um, High and Lindsay have is that their ulterior motive can be that they want to, you know, get one step closer to the idol. But the the thing that they can put out there to people is, oh, Drea has all these advantages. That's why we need to take mm-hmm. her out, even though, you know, their motive might be otherwise. So, yeah, in that sense, I, I was forgetting about that. Yes, I think she could potentially be in danger. But I just think that, again, with a 4-4-4, it's very easy to shift the target. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's go over to Vati because as Drea finds this beware idol, the big question is, is Mike going to say his phrase? And we do see Mike talking about not saying it. It's interesting because he has had this strategy for many weeks now, encouraged by Daniel in the beginning to just sit on it and let it activate itself at the merge so that nobody knows that you actually have it, which I think is actually very innovative and fascinating. It's a really good strategy considering they've never seen this. They didn't, they weren't aware of 41, so they're coming up with this on the fly. And I think it's actually very smart. Uh, ultimately, Mike is going to say his phrase in a snap decision, but you know, I, I really liked this, will they, won't they? Because otherwise the beware advantages are very sort of, even though we've only seen them in one season, at this point I'm tired of them. Like it's very formulaic and it's very, okay, well, we've lost our vote. And now we have to say this every tribal council. And, and to have somebody just withholding it or thinking about withholding it, I think is a sort of new, interesting aspect to introduce. Totally. And on top of that, I think that there were actual stakes in that moment around whether or not he would say it because with so many of the advantages that we see presented on this show, it's sort of like, of course they're going to do it. A great example being when you find the idol and it's like, if you open this, there could be consequences. Well, it's like, of course you're going to open it. Right. But this was an example of there's validity to him both unlocking the idol right now and there's validity to him not because as you say if, if he holds on to it and doesn't tell anyone no one then his idol is clearly going to activate soon we know the merge is around the corner and we know that no one will know about his idol whereas the other two idols will be known so like there's absolute reason why he should not read it and there's absolute reason why you should read it and get your idol straight away so i just thought this was a really successful um you know sort of culmination of things however i think the credit really doesn't go to production in this case because i think this one was a real i don't want to say happy accident it wasn't entirely an accident but there were a lot of variables at play here that i think that like going back to jeff's garage with the whiteboard i don't think they could have like gamed this scenario out um i think it just happened to work out this way that created Mm -hmm. a really entertaining and rewarding moment on television but i still in you know as we go back to the the whiteboard for seasons um 43 and 44 etc i still don't think that this moment and the fact that it all you know gave us a really uh interesting moment i don't think that makes uh, the effort worthwhile yeah i agree 
So let's talk about Daniel while we're over on the Vati tribe, who is going spearfishing <laughs> because it's fun and looks cool on TV, but it's really rubbing the tribe the wrong way because he's got this bad shoulder that he's had since the first episode where he dislocated his shoulder during the challenge. And people are just very, very clearly fed up with him. Also interesting to see that I think Hi and Lydia are kind of emerging as the Romeo and Drea of the Vati tribe. They're they're they seem to be a strong duo, and I think Hi is kind of running the show over there. I mean, we don't hear from Lydia a whole lot. We did get to hear from her a bit in this episode, but I just I'm finding this dynamic interesting because Lydia was in very close danger of being sent home a few weeks ago, and. Here she is next to Hai, who seems to be kind of calling the shots over at Vati. I just thought this was like much ado about less than nothing. If he feels like he is able to, first of all, <laughs> he's going in the water and just like paddling around. I don't know like what sort of exertion they thought this was going to require from his shoulder, but you kind of have to, and this isn't just survivor, this is life. You have to let someone determine you know, what their capabilities are with their injury. And if like, he feels like he can do that comfortably. I felt like the fact that they were making a thing about that, this was so odd. However, I did love that moment of high and Lydia in their own sort of part of the beach, but with Jonathan and Chanel, like, you know, what, 20, 30 feet away. Mike and Chanel. Excuse me, sorry. Mike and Chanel, 30 feet away. And them sort of like having this moment of like, can you believe this sucker? And Chanel's yeah. face <laughs> in kind of shifting from game in like social there's if you go back and watch it it's really funny because Chanel like wasn't sure what the cue was to do there like she didn't know if he was like trying to like if he was like angry about it or if he was like making it into like a funny thing and she had to negotiate that very quickly and it was all on her face I also was just like, why aren't the four of them sitting together? Like, how do you, you go down to the beach and you see that two of them had to have been there before the other two or, or someone. And it's just, how do you make this decision? And this is something I'd be interested in talking to more players about. Like when you sort of go off and, and you're sitting on the beach, how do you make the decision about whether or not to like give space to someone if you're in plain sight of them? Like they were clearly in close enough that you could call out to each other and not have Jonathan here. Excuse me. Oh my God, I'm confusing all the names. Daniel. And not have Daniel hear them in the water. Um, and yet they, someone made the decision to be like, let's not sit together. Yeah, don't worry. I have Jonathan on the mind all the time too. But <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. It's, it, it is a strange dynamic to have the two little pods sitting there watching Daniel swim. I do think that what we're seeing here is just general annoyance with Daniel. I don't even think that they're that mad that he's sitting out of challenges but is going to go spearfishing. I think there's maybe two aspects at play here. One, is he going to lose the spear? Because he loses everything. He's notorious for misplacing things, dropping things. So that is a legitimate fear. And two, if the guy is just annoying around camp, then that is just going to build and you're going to find anything you can to complain about this person. So I think that's what we're seeing. I think it's truly like comes down to just the interpersonal conflict, which I love. Right. My other question with the spear is like, is anyone able to catch fish with this spear? Because it's like, yes, we can sort of make Daniel look like Boo Boo the Fool out with the spear, unable to catch a single fish. That's great. But like, 
is anyone else bringing fish home? I just wonder, it's like when you don't have an Aussie, um, you know, or Jonathan or what have you on the tribe, like, I'm just wondering, like, how valuable is this spearfish if you don't have someone that can actually uh, successfully spearfish? And that is true. That is I know true. we've said this time and time again, but we are on season 42 of this show. You know that you're going to be on this island. You know one of the primary sources of food is going to be made or going to be captured rather uh, via spearfishing. Why not learn how to spearfish in advance of coming out onto this game? Like, and also on top of all of that, you know you'll get some badass footage of you in the water with the underwater camera. You know what I mean? Like, it's just continues to sort of stump me as to why people don't go on the show and say like among the things like I'm going to learn how to do XYZ puzzle. I'm going to learn how to spearfish. I'm going to learn how to crack open a coconut. I'm going to learn how to splice the bamboo. Like there's just so many or what's not the bamboo. Make fire. Yeah. Like there's just so many aspects, but sorry, this is going to bug me. What's the bamboo called? The green, those green logs. Isn't it called bamboo? Is it? I thought there was a specific term for that, that the thing that they use for the shelters. Maybe it is bamboo. Anyway. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, like Daniel says, spearfishing looks cool on TV, so I totally get it. But if you, Evan, live in New York and you find out that you're going on Survivor, where do you learn how to spearfish? I would, if there's a will, there's a way, you know what I mean? Like at that point, it's like, I'm going on Google. I'm, you know, I'm taking a bus to, you know, the Delaware river. I don't know. You know, I, I figure it right. out, but like, at least yeah. at the very least okay. in my mind, I want to know that I've exhausted every potential resource to learn how to do things. Mm -hmm. However, I would not do survivor for very similar reasons to Lydia, which we will get to. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the orange tribe where, We've got some conflict brewing between Jonathan and Marianne and to some extent Lindsay because we get this great montage, I thought, of just shelter chat, which is just how they pass the time. And I feel like we don't get to see this very often, but in this case, we are seeing it. And the reason is because Jonathan is growing more and more annoyed with Marianne. He is can't stand that nobody can sit in silence he can't stand that she's always in the way that she always makes a big deal of everything i mean he's chopping the wood and he, to be fair i did rewind that scene and he did throw the bamboo down onto the ground onto her feet and then chop it and part of me wonders whether that was like a passive aggressive move by him or it's not even passive it's aggressive uh and and so i don't know that it's just like willfully building to conflict or or whether it's just a personality styles clashing. But I really, really loved to see this because, you know, we are told that this is a very tight tribe, that they are four strong, but we know we've been seeing cracks for weeks that Marianne is rubbing people the wrong way. Probably Jonathan is also like, there's just that those personalities aren't mixing together very well. I think Jonathan doesn't match really anybody else on his tribe. And I mean, we don't get much from Lindsay, but it we does don't. seem like this is a messy, messy tribe. It does. And I also think this is like, I, I, this is one of my favorite scenes in the episode, and I think it's essential, and I'm so glad that they included it, because these are the kind of dynamics that can ultimately flip votes in ways that seem arbitrary, because they're not, you know, game-related, but we've seen on past seasons of this show someone having to vote between 
the strategically smart person to vote off and just the person that just annoys them. Right. And I feel Mm -hmm. like developing this, which I do, I have a sense is going to have some sort of payoff down the line is really, really smart. I also enjoyed the fact that you kind of got a little bit of both sides at play in the edit, which is that like, yes, they, she, Marianne and Lindsay, I would say, were being, very chatty and you could see the way that it could come off as very annoying. You also saw Jonathan being an asshole. And so I like the fact mm-hmm. that you didn't come away from it being like, mm, I'm on so-and-so side. It was more of like, mm, I can see how they're both grading on one another. And also to what you said about him nearly chopping off her foot. I also just want to give credit to Marianne. Jonathan is a lot of man. And I imagine can be very physically intimidating when he gets in your face and is, you know, arguing and, and clearly he was, you know, heated and Marianne did not acquiesce my favorite word acquiesce um so I just want to say credit to like Marianne for like saying like I'm not gonna back down like that was you what you did was rude you you completely ignore the fact that I was there you did not mind my personal space you could have hurt me so I just thought this whole thing was very electric um I thought maybe Lindsay would have like presented herself as a character in this moment and joined the cast of Survivor 42. That was not the case, but I was delighted (laughs) to have this development for Jonathan and Marianne. Yeah, totally. There's a couple great things here. And they're just like throwaway. I, I just I have to hand it to the editors because this is exactly what we've been begging this for. This is for what years. we want. It's yes. like these throwaway scenes where Marianne, you know, Jonathan says, Where's my canteen? I can't find my canteen, which by the way, he looks so hot putting on a shirt. And he's like, is my canteen in there? And then Marianne's like, let's play hot and cold. And it's just like such a throwaway moment that typically would land on the cutting room floor, but it's just helping to build this entire narrative and relationship dynamic week after week of, you know, just personalities clashing and he's going along with it. I think what's interesting here is that we get this confessional from him where he talks about recognizing that he is a big person. He's a, he's an automatic threat. He already has, he comes into the game with a really high threat level and that he has to temper that. He knows that he has to watch what he's saying and watch how he's interacting with people in order to bring the threat level down or at least like keep it where it is which is already high so i liked that he recognized that i feel like there's a lot of big guys who come into the game planning to physically dominate and disregard the social aspect and so i appreciate that he's trying i just don't know that it's working or that his uh his fuse is long enough to allow him to withhold for the for long as long as he's going to have to i also love seeing omer's reaction to the whole thing who omer pulled this whole thing together omer's the first one who went to jonathan built this alliance he went to marianne i think he's like the glue that's keeping them together and i think his game is going to really rely on it post merge and he's watching this crumble around him and i don't know what's going to happen for him as a result yeah i I definitely i i'm curious about omar and where he stands and where where his loyalty lies or when it comes down when push comes to shove and he has to choose between marianne and jonathan where does omar go if there really is that split that is certainly really interesting i think one of the great things about this cast is that in past seasons when we've had Jonathan-like characters. I don't want to say we've had other Jonathans, but you know, this uh, there is somewhat of an archetype to a Jonathan. 
he's been able to sort of find other macho guys like him to just sort of link up with and do the bro alliance. And the great thing about this season is that Jonathan is such an outlier amongst this cast um, in, in, in many ways. And what's great is that it's not as though come merge, he can find the other Jonathans on the other two tribes and just say, you know, let's go forward. Let's power through. Um, as we've talked about, this is not one of the physically strongest casts that we've had before. And uh, and so in that sense, it's like Jonathan could Jonathan's physical threat level or physical you know prowess is not only an immediate threat, but like he could easily be taken out, even if just, you know, even if the other two tribes just say, you know what, let's band together for this vote and get this meat out. And it's like, great, smart. So I like the fact that Jonathan either will well no not either jonathan will have to rely on his social game um moving into the merge and i think jonathan might have a really good social game Mm, yeah totally let's go to the immunity challenge where we get all three phrases said i think that mike makes that snap decision like i said to activate his idol after Drea says her phrase. And you can see, I really loved watching Marianne react to Drea saying her phrase about the potatoes because they're so wild and it do- they don't make sense. And also, do like, does anybody ask what the... F- you guys have potatoes? Like, we've never seen a potato I had that same thought. on this Your show. Or, or her other tribe mates. Yeah, totally. And I think we see Marianne go along with it in a way that is like very supportive and also conscious of the fact that she needs to keep this moving before questions start getting asked. And then, of course, Mike jumping in with a very, very long soccer analogy to get his phrase out multiple times. It was nice that after seeing Mike sit on his phrase for so many weeks, he really managed to make up for it here by saying it like three or four times in one sentence. So Yeah, he really uh, gave us... I was surprised to see him say it because they there was a lot of talk about the merge coming. And... They know that it's coming next episode. I mean, they don't know what the twist is going to be, but they know Merge is coming. And all he had to do was sit on it for one more week. And he would have had the idol that nobody knew he had and it would be active. But it's so smart for him to do this because he just lost an ally at the last vote or or I don't know, was it the last one or I can't but he lost an ally and it's very easy that you could perceive that his, his, his um, current tribe would say well yes we could have this idol going into the merge but that idol could be used against us like just so it's like there's just as easily of like let's eliminate someone else from having an idol in the game i don't think that would have been the case but i can understand his thinking in saying you know what why risk my tribe teaming up and taking me out so as not to 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 have me you know maintain this power going into the game so i think it was a ultimately a good move um I think it was one that, although I see the strategy in waiting, I don't think there was any disadvantage to doing what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And especially in retrospect that they ended up going to tribal, the last thing they needed was somebody in their alliance without a vote. Right. As we saw so much uh, so much anxiety about whether Lydia was going to risk her vote at Shipwheel Island. So if they had both lost a vote, that would, would have been bad news. Uh, so let's get to the immunity challenge now. This is a... Oh, Jenny. That's what I was thinking. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, please. No, no sorry. Go. I was just going to say because he had lost Jenny before, he was on the on the out of the vote. So anyway, I'm just trying to thread the needle, yeah. the, threading the needle in my own head. But basically, it's just like Jonathan <laughs> is not at the top of the totem pole. If you have the option to have an idol straight away, Mike. take the option. Okay, sorry. Moving on. <laughs> just missing my girl Jenny. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the immunity challenge is identical to this exact same episode episode five of season 41 it is the exact same immunity challenge they just painted the pieces to the new tribe colors so they're going through an obstacle course they're doing a puzzle to get a key to collect sandbags and then launching those sandbags with a giant slingshot at two targets so this is the one that we got that slow motion shot of ricard last season which uh, then then cut to him flopping on hitting the target so lazy in my opinion to completely like at least change one element of the challenge but it is what it is so what happens here uh the orange tribe is really lagging in the challenge because omer is struggling with the puzzle portion and we see jonathan getting really frustrated about that in the meantime the blue tribe ika wins and they win not just immunity but also a large tarp and then the green tribe is struggling to hit their targets and the orange tribe comes up from behind and Jonathan manages to take out both targets before the green tribe is able to. So orange tribe wins immunity as well and a small tarp. Okay, wait, can I pause with a question? Yeah. Why? And I don't know if, if you know the answer to this, but why are you able to sub players in when it comes to the hitting the target, but they couldn't sub Jonathan or excuse me, Omar out during the, the part of the puzzle that he was stuck on. I don't understand that mm -hmm. rule. Arbitrary rules. But isn't Jeff's that kind of strange that it's like, wouldn't it be it great? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because what would you do in the event that the person trying to shoot the target just couldn't, it's like it, totally. you have this easy out. It's like, oh, well, we'll just throw in another player. And it's like, well, what if that person had to keep going until they could get the targets down? That would have completely changed, totally. the, changed the who could win the game. Especially when you're watching the blue tribe swap people out on the slingshot. Right. And then you're cutting to Omer struggling with the puzzle. And it's like, well, wait a second. Why aren't these legs made equal? Right. Where, yeah. The other thing I just wanted to uh, mention about the tarp was I know that they made that effort to do that shot early in the episode of the rain coming down for no reason whatsoever, even though I thought we were about to cut to a shot of the entire tribe under, you know, the shelter, you know, um, with, you know, their, their hands all pruny. We did not get that. This just to say, this does not seem like a very wet season, all things considered. We have gotten very little um, miserable camp life. So I'm just not sure the joy that was let out by that tarp, even though everyone was fiending for food. Food. It was food, food, food. They were practically pounding the table. But then everyone got real excited about a tarp. And I'm just like, I have a feeling there was a little meeting with production before that it's like, when we tell you the reward, no matter what it is, we want you to let out the largest screams of excitement. And it was just like, this, this tribe, these people don't need a tarp. Tarp is not on the menu. Well, it's interesting because what we found out in the postseason of 41 was that it actually poured rain every single night and they just there was very, very few night shots. And so the few night shots that there were, it was raining. And so that was like misleading in 41. 
maybe the same is true for 42. Of course, they filmed back to back and maybe there's like a weather pattern. I don't know. But I did notice that last week, and I think we forgot to mention it in the recap, I think it was last week when they get to, there was a water challenge and they arrive there and Jeff's like, rough night last night, eh, with the rain. And they, I was like, what, that wasn't in the show. Why are we including this line in the show? Because we saw no rain in the episode. Mm. So bum, bum, I think bum. it is raining, but okay, I'm not but, seeing it. But it, it was going to say, then if that is the case, it's just, again, yeah. story editors, hello, we, we need to see it. And mm-hmm. not just uh, throw away like shots of it raining, but the consequences of like, you know, uh, you know, they're sleeping in the rain or they're soaking wet, not just a little Jeff interstitial. Real quick, though, before we go back, I do just want to say, because um, I did want to address the sort of like the Jeff thing that I think we keep hinting at and haven't quite landed the plane on because we don't know where the plane is going. Not just us, but the show. Um, but I was watching last night with a friend of mine and we were watching the challenge itself. And my friend Valen was just like, Jeff, chill. And I was like, yes, that. So... In addition to feeling like something is off with Jeff, and you know, we've said this time and time again, but just during the challenges, it's just like, just, it's like, just calm down, calm down. You you can tell us what's happening during the challenge if you must, fine, but I don't know, like the blowing of Omar about like how behind they are. It's just yeah. like, Jeff, calm down. Agreed. So the Green Tribe is going back to tribal oh wait sorry and we so left I guess one thing a good out thing. what mr jeff oh mr jeff <laughs> mr of jeff course. when jonathan called jeff mr jeff mr jeff huge <laughs> yeah it's um i don't know jonathan's had like a tricky episode for me because i started to realize it started to come out that he's very straight do you know Yes. The whole conflict with Marianne and Lindsay. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I'm reminded this is a straight man. Uh, that the version of him that exists in my mind isn't the version that exists of him in reality. I've also realized that following him on Instagram, uh, that it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not. I thought, um, it, it's for, exactly what you would think it is. For me, the, the dreadlocks were an early indicator of, uh, <laughs> Of what, what you're hinting at but i hear you i will say though that i do think jonathan is primed for some sort of like personal arc on this show and to his credit although there were moments in that fight with marianne that i started to get like a little nervous about where this is going i do think on the whole he did a good job of maintaining his composure and at the end of the day um it's really not about, it's really about sort of like one, how one holds on to, like holds their emotions back because we mm. can't control what we feel. We can control how we present that. And I feel like he did, I will give him the credit in sort of like holding it together. I would be curious though. It's like, you get the sense that it's like, I would not want to see Jonathan really angry because it's like i think that there's like there's a tornado in there like i definitely mm-hmm. you know there's some sort of you know dad made him run up all those hills when he was growing up and there's some sort of resentment <laughs> deep down um so yeah but um despite the fact that i don't think it was a great episode for jonathan i do think it textured our experience of jonathan totally. um so there's that 
I think that there's an alternate world where when Lindsay and Marianne are telling stories, talking about Mario Kart in the shelter, Jonathan joins in. Yeah. And laughs. Yeah. And that I would that's the version that exists in my fantasies. Okay. Not the Jonathan that we saw that gets annoyed when women talk. Right. Also, speaking of Mario Kart and then like, you know, having the Harry Potter reference, it's like this show is like, sometimes I'm like, what year did we film this show? And like, I don't get me wrong. <laughs> I know people still enjoy Harry Potter. I know people still enjoy, enjoy Mario Kart. But like the references on this show are just like, I guess they're like maybe like purposefully <laughs> ambiguous, but I'm just sort of like, ooh, yeah, there's just, uh, I don't know, just the fact that they were sitting around having a discussion about Mario Kart. I was like, what's next? Like Roller Coaster Tycoon? Like, I just, I, I wasn't quite sure where we were going, but, um, you know, Pogs, like I wasn't, I wasn't sure, but nonetheless. Yeah. Love that. Pogs. I wish they would, they should give them a Pogs reward. I guess they don't play well on sand. Mm. It would be fun to get more game rewards, stuff for them to do. Stuff to do. Like I love cards. Mad Libs. Give them Mad Libs. Yeah. <laughs> Give them, uh, what's that Ellen game? Heads up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, sorry. Can I just say this too, really, really quick? It, I know this probably isn't a natural tie in, but remember how they used to do like the challenge where they won, uh, won being able to watch a movie? Well, I just feel like with The Lost City out right now, there would have been a really great tie in because The Lost City <laughs> is all about like a jungle adventure. And it's like, I would have loved a reward challenge. Uh, and also, Channing Tatum famously like loves the outdoors. He's been on Bear Grylls' show twice. He's the only person to appear twice. Um, so I would have loved like Channing Tatum emerging from the woods with Jeff and being like, today's reward challenge. We're going to watch the lost kingdom together. And I'm going to strip. Anyway, that would have been like my, if I were on production, that's how I would have handled things. That would be great. If this wasn't filmed a year ago, but true. I hear you. True, true, true. I hear you. <laughs> Green screen. <laughs> it would have, been, would have been incredible, but also get Channing Tatum on beyond the edge. Concur. Honestly, and hey, you and I will 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 do something about this down the line. But it's like we should do like our fantasy casting beyond the edge season two if there was a budget for both the show itself and the marketing. Because like there are plenty of survivors. You know, we talked about this in this in the past. But Kate Hudson, famously a huge Survivor fan during Australian mm -hmm. Outback, obviously Rosie O'Donnell. We know our friend Rumor Willis is a huge. Like there are plenty of reputable people um no disrespect aquaria to Aqu hello hello i think there's a bunch of rude girls anyway this just to say i think that the concept of beyond the edge like w w we're there with you it's it's the concept is there the execution is not anyway but yes channing tatum headlining beyond the edge season two hello cbs and then if he wins he hosts survivor <laughs> done done Okay, one more thing before we leave the challenge arena is that Roxbury and Lydia are chosen to go on the ship wheel trek. Okay, let's go to that ship wheel trek then because we get a bit of Lydia backstory. We get a body positivity moment. She's opening up here. She's on Survivor. You can't hide on Survivor and she's kind of embracing it. So this is the moment that I thought was, I've, I've never seen a narrative like this presented on Survivor. I obviously think that we got like a very bite-sized version of like the more nuanced conversation here. But I think that there is, and at first of all, I really just want to like shout out Lydia for like offering this into like the canon of the show. But basically there's this unspoken thing of like, when you go on this show, you are going to be expected to not only be like in your underwear a lot, but like, 
doing like action in your underwear, running and, you know, like and, and jumping and all of these things. And when you're someone that carries any kind of body issues, and as Lydia pointed out, a lot of people have body issues of the varying sizes and shapes, right? It's not always, not always about size. It's often about shape as well. It can become a huge, you know, um, reason not to do this show just because of your fear of not wanting to see yourself presented on camera. Um, no glam. You know, you're going to see yourself at your your most raw and not everyone is comfortable with that. I know I certainly am not comfortable with that. In addition to like the other things that I would, you know, you know, have a question about um, whether or not to do this show. But I just enjoyed that perspective because I think it's really real. I think it's one that's not often considered by by uh, people when they talk about reasons not to do the show it's like oh well i couldn't handle not having the food or i couldn't handle sleeping with the rats and it's like well for a lot of people there's just uh image issues you know body image but you know it just image issues in general that can sort of really um put a, a you know a strain on whether or not they think that they can do the show so i just more than anything, I would like to have Lydia on Drop Your Buffs postseason and have a more nuanced conversation about this. But I think she's getting at something that I think is resonant for both, I imagine, a lot of players, but I think a lot of audience members like myself. Yeah, I did really like this moment. And I think, like you say, it's unique. We don't, I can't think of a moment that we've seen something like this in the past. And so often the spotlight sort of montages that they've been doing in 41 and 42 are about why I'm playing this game and why my entire life has led up to this moment where this is a much more relatable thing. Like you say, when you think about Survivor, you're like, okay, like not only is it hard, not only is it physically hard and I'm sleeping on the ground or in a, or on bamboo or, and not eating, but also I am going to be on national television looking my absolute worst, you know? Right. And, uh, and and not even and not even having to do with uh, how you feel about your body, but you're you're just in the jungle. You have you know there it, all vanity is must be stripped away, and uh, I think that's hard for like ninety eight percent of the population. Probably everyone who has played Survivor has felt that way, and we've just never heard it. And in addition to those insecurities, which just exist outright, think about the scrutiny that you face from a really uh, at times just me i was gonna say fandom but it's not even just the survivor fandom but it's like people on the internet can be mean and so in addition to just the the issues that we carry about our own selves there's the idea that if you go on the show you are then susceptible to criticisms about you your appearance and your body and that too i imagine can weigh on a person about whether or not they want to participate in something like this because it's like in addition to you know dealing with people maybe criticizing your gameplay there are people out there that consider it fair game game to criticize the way you look um you know and the show in the past less now but it would go out of its way to make certain people you know to highlight someone falling down um or you know just making people the mm -hmm. doofy things people do really making them underlining that and that can that can wear on someone's you know um their self-importance or that's not the word i'm looking for it can wear on them so anyway this is just to say i appreciated the conversation being opened up i and you know obviously there was limited space for it on the show but i think that there's a a larger conversation to be had that's i think even bigger than survivor but definitely one i would love to have with the survivor verse yeah yeah and also this lives forever survivor lives forever 
and the screenshots will live forever. The promo photos will live forever. I saw, I remember Courtney talking somewhere about how, uh, you know, she's so thankful that she likes her promo shot for Heroes versus Villains because it is used in association with her for the rest of her life. Yeah. And some people don't like their photos and you just, you literally can't escape them. And in, in people's memory, in people's mind, you look like what you looked like on Survivor. Right. Also, and again, we'll deep dive this at some point, but it's like, imagine how many trans people do not try out for this show because they're not comfortable being in their swimsuits or having their bodies on display in the way that is required of a show like Survivor. And so I just think there are things that maybe people don't factor into why certain people either don't play this game, don't try out for this game, don't always feel comfortable, but like there is a level of body acceptance you are required to have in order to play this game. And it's not necessarily, I would, it's not body positivity necessarily because you can hate your body and be comfortable showing it off. So I think it's really more just acceptance, but it's like, I would, that would be my, when, if the, if the, if they came between they're like, Evan, we're ready for you on Survivor 43. My first concern, and I've, I'm on my laundry list would just be like, I, don't think I'm comfortable having a camera on me that I am not in control of where I'm being shot and the lighting. It's like anything that I do on camera, I have some control over my appearance and that would be, and I don't, I don't even think it's from an ego place. I think it's from an insecurity place. So anyway, I like that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I did think it was good. And they also have a conversation about the game where Lydia reveals to Roxroy that she feels like she's on the bottom of her tribe. Roxroy gives up nothing about what's going on on his tribe. And I thought this was interesting because I think Roxroy's read of it was that Lydia gave up kind of the dynamic of the tribe and that she's on the bottom. I don't think that's actually accurate. I think Lydia played Roxroy a little bit here because she's not on the bottom. And although she may feel insecure having been the target of that tie vote, I think that she understands that she's in a good place with Hai, who kind of is now in a power position with Mike on the tribe. And so I actually see this and and we heard her confessional say that she didn't give up much information. And that was kind of contrasted with what we actually saw that she was giving up information. But I actually think that information she gave up was not wholly accurate. And I think that that must have been a decision on her part. Oh, yeah, I read it as exactly that. Yeah. And so ultimately, they neither of them risk their vote. This was interesting because it changed nothing in the game. I like the decision. I think they both made the right decision. Their rationale seemed completely fair. And I'm honestly kind of surprised they showed the track. They could have cut it entirely. Yeah, there's been suspicion that because we haven't been getting a track every episode, there's been like one every second episode. There has been suspicion that they've been cut because people didn't risk their votes. Well, I wonder if there was no change in the game. I wonder if keeping this in was... In, in order to give a Lydia, excuse me, in order to give Lydia her first airtime on the show, because it was like the only reason to keep yeah. this in is is getting Lydia backstory. I was surprised that we weren't given Roxroy backstory here because it's like I felt like that would have you know presented even more reason to keep it around. Um, I know we've gotten a little bit of Roxroy's backstory, but I feel like we could have used something to ingratiate us a little bit more to him. But yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't entirely a, a nothing burger because we got the Lydia of it all. But yeah, it was again, it's like. Like, okay, nothing, nothing changes. Great. Moving on. 
Yeah, and it it could play it like there's a possibility this plays out where Roxroy has this information that he believes that Lydia is on the bottom of her tribe, and maybe that plays out in merge. Maybe they approach Lydia. Maybe he approaches Lydia because he feels he's on the bottom of his tribe. Like who knows? That could it could play into it, but it didn't feel like it was given any kind of weight of that kind of importance. Right. So I don't know. But I, what I what I do want to say is that Lydia is an incredible confessionalist. And I'm shocked that we hadn't seen her as much up until this episode. She's gotten a couple, but really, really great narrator. I just thought so charismatic, such a good storyteller. And I almost thought they were hiding her because she wasn't a good confessionalist, Mm. but that's not the case. Okay, let's go back to Vati where they're working on the strategy ahead of the vote. Uh, Daniel tells everybody that he doesn't want to scramble. He just wants to talk to everybody, which to me is scrambling. But Chanel also wants to chat with everybody. So we've got Daniel and Chanel kind of feeling like they're on the bottom. High tells Daniel that he sees Chanel as a flip risk come merge time. And Chanel, meanwhile, is trying to lean into everyone's frustration, personal frustrations with Daniel to make sure that he's the target. And Mike and High are talking about splitting the votes so that they're safe from any shot-in-the-dark plays or advantage plays. And they're also super concerned that Lydia has not risked her vote because they absolutely need her vote in this one. So I thought I thought that this was really interesting that they're thinking about the vote splits in light of the shot in the dark because in the first couple of rounds that wasn't really a consideration and now i think they're starting to get used to this and the number of times that we've seen the shot played they're having to think about this and on one hand i really like that they're factoring it into the strategy on the other i started to wonder well is the shot in the dark just going to force tons of ties Mm. Because ties are fun once in a while, but actually they're pretty exhausting when, I mean, we saw this happen at certain points in Survivor history with idle vote splits where, of course, vote splits are almost now the norm, but especially in seasons where it was unknown where the idol was or whether we played, it was everything had to be a vote split. And we saw a lot of ties as sort of contingency plans for a vote split or as contingency plans for an idol play. And it kind of pulled all of, it was anticlimactic at tribal council in many, many cases. So I hope that we're not getting into a pattern of that. Uh, Anyways, Lydia returns from Shipwheel Island and Danielle and Chanel both pitch to Lydia that they feel like it's going to be the other person. And she seems to get like 15 minutes with high before a tribal that he can, brief her on what went down and reassure her that she's not at risk because they think that it's critical that Lydia feels safe and does not play her shot, especially after being targeted at that last vote. So it's interesting to see how little time they have after coming back from Shipwheel Island. It's really like, seems like a disadvantage to go. Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. Shall we go to tribal? Yeah. I mean, I was saying less just because it's like this for me, the, last quarter of the episode is where things really fell off just because I wasn't really that invested in Mm. uh, this vote per se. I don't think it was uninteresting, but I mean, in terms of the conversation with Jeff and the tribe, it was sort of like, it was a is it him or is it her to me? Like that was what this came down to. And it wasn't a lot of like strategically there's reasons for both 
to stay and both to go. And so it was just sort of like, which is it going to be? Yeah, for me, the real story here is is where the votes land. And the split in light of the shot in the dark. Because we go to tribal and it it feels like a long conversation with Jeff where nothing is said. Uh, What I did think was funny was that Jeff just blatantly now, I mean, obviously Survivor loves, you know, uh, as a firefighter, when I'm fighting, like, you know, he loves the analogies and they just seem to come out. But we're at the point now where Jeff is blatantly saying, give me an analogy from your real life. Give, Give me one. And I do have to respect that Daniel said, look, I'm not an analogy guy. (laughs) Yeah. I did like it. I like when people stand up to Jeff. Mr. Jeff. But then ultimately he gave one. Mr. Jeff. I will say, though, that was a very good analogy. The Muhammad Ali analogy. uh, (laughs) I mean, not to not to, um, you know, do superlatives around analogies, but that was I I got it. I was with him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, uh, so the the vote happens. No shot in the dark is played, and it comes out two votes for Chanel, two votes for Daniel, and one vote for Mike. And this was a little bit of a head scratcher. I think people online uh, really started to figure this out. I have to say, I figured it out on my own, but I'm not bragging. I have no proof of this. But you know, when you really think about it, and I assume this is why this happened that. Uh, Chanel voted for Mike because there, of course, would have been the fear that everybody loads up their votes on Daniel. Daniel plays his shot in the dark. If he's safe, then Chanel goes home because Chanel knows that Daniel's voting for her. And so I guess as a last ditch effort, she votes for Mike that in the event that Daniel plays his shot in the dark and is safe, then at least there's a one, one tie between her and Mike in which she might have an opportunity to throw Mike under the bus before a revote and maybe say he has an idol or whatever the reason might be. Um, or that, you know, maybe she feels he was a little bit on the outs because he was working with Jenny, who's now gone. Like there might, there, there seems to be some argument that she could have made against Mike. I would love to know what that would have been, but I suspect that that's why we see Chanel throw that vote at Mike. Mm. So on a revote, Daniel is sent home unanimously and... Mike's kind of pissed, it seems, that he copped a vote from Chanel because he turns to her and says, I kept my promise and someone voted for me. So curious to see how that plays out because I think in these situations, it's kind of like, usually they just move on from it. But with such a small tribe and going into the merge, maybe it's a signal that you can't trust everybody that you're with and they're ready to throw you under the bus. I don't know. Bum, bum, bum. So that's it. We have lost Daniel once and for all, he can go get his Voltaren on his shoulder or whatever he needs. And <laughs> next week we have the fake merge. Uh, and we're going in, as, as uh, I saw pointed out on Twitter, first time in Survivor history that we have had three tribes go into the merge with a 4-4-4 split. So it should be very interesting. I mean, it's not the merge. We are going to get the fake merge probably lumped into groups very curious to see if anything changes with the hourglass twist after danny's tough chat with jeff that occurred off screen about how all of that played out 
I don't know what they could change if they change anything. Uh, maybe make it more of a choice for the hourglass turner or hourglass breaker to actually put them at some kind of risk either way or you know it just wasn't a choice for erica last season so very curious to see what's going to happen here we have a voicemail from mary she is back let's listen to that now hello sean and evan this is mary back again couldn't resist a recurring appearance on this season just have to first of all say loved the episode i think we got into some fun interpersonal corners, some great moments, Lindsay being very patient with Omer as he navigated the ropes, despite Jeff yelling out that we cannot imagine how long it's taking, or he is moving unspeakably slowly, or something to that effect. Also loves Daniel rightly saying that he is not good with analogies, which we learned when he tried to map his work with the fishing spear onto an arsonist, making a good firefighter and I see where he was going but it just um didn't quite didn't quite get there bless his heart also you know he astutely noted that he would not be brought back to have his torch snuffed again so godspeed daniel two things for discussion should you choose to discuss number 1 curious to get your thoughts on romeo's stance as Drea's coach here just co- coaching her supporting her to be the best survivor she can be I see how that ties, of course, back to his B-roll. I'm wondering if we actually believe that he believes that. And are we loving it? Are we celebrating it? Are we finding it patronizing? Do we think this is actually a sustainable and legit point of view? Curious to get your thoughts. I'm conflicted on it. I'm also curious if you can point to other true, like, I shine when you shine. Like, I'm in this game to make it happen for you types of dynamics from seasons past curious. Other thing, having to uphold my status as the uh, preeminent Drag Race X survivor contributor in the Drop Your Buffs pod space, I have to say, Evan, I'm aligned with you on experiencing a renewed appreciation for RuPaul this season. I really loved, especially his Snatch Game moments, like giving these insights about finding your frequency, applying it to everything you do, all that. I'm wondering... What the equivalent of Rue's workroom walkthroughs might be for Jeff? Because I really find that's where Rue shines the brightest. I guess these days he's more standing in one place and the queens are walking to him. But would that mean like Jeff visits camp? Would we even want to get more of his insights? Would those endear him to us or have the opposite effect? Is he redeemable at this stage or do we just need to let him shuffle off this, (laughs) not mortal coil, but CBS coil? who can say food for thought. That's all I have. Thank you both so much. Love you dearly. Bye. Much to unpack. Okay. We've already talked about the Romeo Drea situation. So I think we can leave that. Are there examples from survivor past where, as, as Mary said, the I shine, you shine. I can't really come up with any. There's certainly great duos, but is it like I lift you up to be better? Well, there's the blood versus water seasons where you had yeah. moms helping their daughters. Um, I think those are some obvious examples, although that's a little different because of the circumstance. Um, yeah. But none that I can really think of where the person was like sacrificing their game um, in order to like elevate someone else's game. I think I think there are people out there that have been like 
you know, you doing well in this game is going to help me do better as well, but not so selflessly as I think what Romeo was presenting. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, what about a Jeff walkthrough? Um, put him at Shipwheel Island. It's that simple. Like, I, I am in oh, favor. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like, I am in favor of Jeff being able to have more conversations with castmates that are not in front of entire tribes. But I also don't think, it's like, if we get him coming to the beach, I think it starts to become, there just becomes a little too difficult because it's like, well, I got yeah. to talk to Jeff, but you didn't, etc. So Shipwheel's the perfect opportunity. Why are we climbing up this hill? Because Jeff's at the top. And Jeff will have a quick conversation. How's the game going? You know, quick little check-in. Yeah, sort of like Island of the Idols, where instead of going yep. to talk to Rob and Sandra, you go to talk to Jeff. Jeff probably has great advice on the game. Well, there you go. He has advice. He has advice. Yeah, he's okay, got advice. One more. Hi, Sean. Hi, Evan. It's Nicole from New York City. I love the pod. My question is, A, do you think we're going to get an hourglass scenario at the merge next week? And B, if we do, do you think there's even a world where Jonathan doesn't get sent home? I think he would lead his tribe to victory. They would end up having to be the ones to go to tribal council and everyone would be like, okay, we have to take this golden opportunity to get this guy out. We may never have another one again all season. And the third part of my question is, how do you think the fan response to the hourglass twist would have differed if our first introduction to it were this twist voting out such a dominant player who clearly without this twist could have used the thing, the very thing that the twist was impacting, you know, immunity via challenges in order to get very far in the game and maybe even win the game. Thanks. Bye. That's really interesting because I think that, I think that either way I would have hated this twist. And I mean, who did we lose with this twist last season? Sydney? I think we lost Sydney and like, no, I don't give a shit, but, <laughs> but even if we had lost, say, Danny, like, I think I, I would have been mad. But even with Sydney, I was like, well, oh, God, I really hope it's Sydney. It's it's just not fair. I just think it's not even about who we lose. It's about the way that the game is played. And I think that's a really interesting that you bring up that this is almost guaranteed to get Jonathan out because, yeah, the likelihood that he's on the winning tribe, which will then be flipped to become the losing tribe and be vulnerable at tribal council. Very true. But remember that last season that the people who became vulnerable also got to play for individual immunity. And that's where Ricard won on the foot challenge, the foot building uh, challenge. So there's an opportunity that Jonathan does get immunity ahead of tribal council. I'm not worried about Jonathan. I don't think he's going to be as much of a target as, as some think he is. I just think there's a lot of reasons to keep him in the game. And there's a lot of people with known advantages in the game, which could become bigger targets than a physical threat and there's just again when you have a 333 in this situation there's just there's so many ways in which things could shake out you could get two tribes banding together and just being like let's just take out this third tribe entirely yeah. and decimate them you could get a split from one tribe and then have a six six like you just there's too many things variables at play right now to really i think predict with any real sense of where the game is going to go totally Okay, well, we will find out next week. I think it might be a two-hour episode. It's a two-hour. last season, it was... They said... Yeah, last season, yeah. it was split. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah, they season. said next week on um, a two-hour Survivor. Genius. Look, they did learn from 41, because the big complaint was that the first hour was atrocious, and the second hour was great. So I guess we're in for one hour of bad, one hour of good next week. So Rough at the smooth. Looking forward to that. 
<laughs> okay. Well, to make sure you don't miss our recap next week, make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. We had been teasing a big interview to come out this week. Unfortunately, life gets in the way. That got postponed. So we're hoping to get that to you in the, in the coming weeks. It will still be coming, we hope. Uh, so... Stay tuned for that. Australian Survivor has wrapped up, so our recaps uh, are now wrapped up. But next week, uh, Ricard and I will be bringing you interviews with two of our favorite players from this past season to do a little bit of a deep dive on the season. Very excited to get into that. And if you've been listening to those recaps, you can probably guess who those players are. And they're iconic. So... Lots of content coming next week. Our 42 recap plus two Australian Survivor interviews. And subscribe rate review hey review we've gotten some bad reviews lately so really good review in our yeah we just uh, (laughs) go read those for a laugh and then write a good review but you know you haven't made it till you get some bad reviews you know that's true get the people talking okay also go follow us on at drop your buffs pod on instagram having lots of fun over there send me messages it's a full-time job but i'm liking it okay Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.